Yes. Cookies and beer. That's going to be disgusting. But that's I'm not okay. even going to be mad. Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, winter is here, and we're going to ring it in with cookies and beer. Did not mean for that to rhyme, but it did. Uh, recommendation, not the best combo, cookies and beer. Uh, but we had it right before the podcast, because with me this week, freshly tanned from his vacation, it's David Newman. Strong disagree about that combination. You know what? They don't have to pair together that well to just still be very highly enjoyable. Oh, together. man. So we were watching film earlier today. Uh, actually, most of today. Most of today. Uh, uh, and to get ready for this episode. Uh, and all of a sudden, I just got this really weird craving for cookies. And so I thought, you know what? Let's, uh, let's do this cookie thing. Because there's a delivery service here in Austin, Texas called Tiff Streets. This is not a paid advert. I just like cookies. Just really enjoy these cookies. They deliver them. They're warm. They're delicious. Got some bluebell ice cream on the side. It was yeah, awesome. Uh, and now I'm about to have an IPA. And this is going to be disgusting. I'm not sorry about it, even a little bit. Feel very, very good about these decisions today. But first, before we get to football, it is Game of Thrones Sunday. Yeah, we are, it is. We are just a couple of hours before the Game of Thrones kickoff final season. Give me your predictions. Go. Man, predictions. I have, like, questions. I don't know how many predictions right. I have. What are give your me, predi- give, me your, give me your predictions. Well, I, I think predictions mostly in terms of, like, like, overall structure, right? So I think they're probably... Who lives? Let's start there. Oh man. Okay. So because you can't go to who dies. That's too long of a list. Who, oh no, 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 no. I think. Well, I think let's let's talk about key people who die. I think Cersei dies at the hand yes. of Jamie. I think Jamie offs her. Cersei and, definitely dies. I think yeah, Jamie is makes the most sense, but she's dying. Somebody's killing her. Yeah, I think ultimately who lives. It's probably going to be uh, um, odds on are going to be Daenerys and Jon, and I'm curious as to whether or not Tyrion lives. Um, and Bran. Uh, I think Bran dies. Uh, I think only one of Sansa, uh, Sansa and Arya dies. One of them. Not sure who yet, but I think one of them does. Yeah, I think Sansa dies. Yeah. I'm going with Sansa. I think yeah, Arya I lives. That. I think Tyrion lives. I think Jon lives. I'm mostly sure that Danny lives, but I feel like yeah. if, if I had to pick one of like the, the top, top characters that would be like the most shocking one, I would probably go with her. Yeah. But. Um, all right, real quick, before we get to, to the football, you know why people tune into the podcast. Yeah, this um, is Game of Thrones week. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Uh, Bran, Night King or not, go. I am moving slowly towards maybe the Night King. Okay. Here's my, here's my quick, quick reasoning, right? The, the one thing that they do consistently is show you something on like a lesser degree and then have it come back and pay off, right? Like with uh, the the Lord of Light bringing people back from the dead, you got Barrack a bunch of times, and then that all set up John coming back, right? They do this with a number of different things. Uh, I think the question is whether uh, the brand being able to affect things did that already happen with like the the yelling Hold out the for Ed, yeah, uh, Ned, excuse me, being the uh, the light one, and then Hodor being the big one, or. Is there still something there where he's going to go and become the Night King, and that's the big payoff? Yeah, I, I begin to lean that way only because if Bran is not the Night King, the Night King might be one of the more boring villains, in, like ever. So that's when I when I go back to questions, like one of the first ones is like, what the hell does the Night yeah, King what's, want? What's, what's is the he motivation? like purely just I want to destroy any and everything, or is he actually have like a, a more defined purpose? And the thing is, is that he's not dead. He like he's not he wasn't someone who was raised from the dead. Uh, the Night King was a human who was just kind of stabbed in the heart. So he's he I mean still alive technically, right? So it's it gets weird, but whatever. All right, so let's get to football. Uh, let's talk about some some rundown stories because there was a little bit of news that happened this week. First and foremost, read it on uh, on Niners Nation today. Seattle defensive line says Weston Richburg cried during a game because he could not block Puna Ford. Uh, I have, I mean, this is just hilarious. I have no comments here other than, uh, this really makes me laugh. I, okay. So one, do you think it's true? Why not? I don't know. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Or do you think this is just in the long line of, of the, the Seahawks kind of ribbing the Niners? Do you think, you know, maybe it's like hyperbolic crying? I mean, probably that, like most likely that, uh, I do kind of love a world in which he actually was crying on the field because he could me block too. his dude. 
Um, I think that would be just hilarious. But Puna you know. Ford, former Texas Longhorn, so you know, I, I always love that the former Longhorns in the NFL. He did have a couple of good games against Richburg. Uh, if you look at yeah, his run, a lot stops of people had some good games against, against Richburg last year. <laughs> so you know. Is what it is. Well, you know, I think we had um, uh, who was the who was Eric Heitman's? Oh God, Eric Heitman! I just went into a time machine. Um, <laughs> Daniel Kilgore's nemesis uh, for the Cardinals. Oh, Corey Peters. There you go. Yeah. Uh, I think we have our new Corey Peters. Yeah. All right. I'm into it. All right. Uh, next is going to be the the kind of I guess the the final uh, the final part of the Reuben Foster saga for 49ers fans. He was officially fined but not suspended for the November incident. Of course, it was that incident that prompted his release from the 49ers. And now people are praising Bruce Allen and saying, see, yeah, you did a good thing. And now we've got a great player. Um, and yet at the end of the day, I think it was the absolute right decision for the 49ers because I don't want to deal with that headache. Exactly. I think that's like the only thing really to say is that this is still a good decision. I think from the 49ers standpoint, you know, you have to make the decision with the information you have at hand. And and I think it, it, come time to make a decision on him. And, and I think they made the right one. And it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of honestly as like, as a fan, just tired of dealing with those sort of situations. And I think it's yeah. fine. Well, I think you said it best when we were texting about it earlier this week, you said, I'm tired of rooting for assholes. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, yeah, absolutely. But not only that, I think the key thing is he wasn't released because the team thought that he hit her in, in November or something like that. It was basically, Hey, we've given you all these chances. We gave you some pretty clear guidelines and rules. You couldn't follow those basic rules. So if you can't do that, we can't trust you. And so you're gone. And I think that not just with football, but even just in life, right? Your, your team, you have to be able to trust them, to rely on them, to do the things that you're going to do together. And if they couldn't trust them with something like that, you know, who knows what else they, they couldn't, couldn't trust them with. And so I think it was the absolute right decision. Glad it's done. And, and hopefully the team has learned and they're moving on. Strong agree. Yep. So let's get to the... Point of the episode this week, what we're going to talk about is going to be wide receivers. This is a continuation of our draft series, and and we were, I think, originally hoping to be able to talk about pass catchers in general in terms of tight ends and wide receivers, but there's a lot of stuff to cover with wide, with wide receivers. Not a ton to cover with tight ends, so we figured, all right, let's focus on wide receivers specifically and get to the questions around this year's class and what players fit with the 49ers. And so before we get into the actual players, let's talk a little bit about the 49ers fit. Because there is a specific Shanahan profile that we've been able to put together. It's one of probably the earlier profiles that we were able to put, that we were able to put together. Because those are that's one of the areas that he attacked first when he became the head coach of the 49ers. But what is the type of player or what defines the type of player that Kyle Shanahan really wants to go after uh, to kind of bolster his wide receiving core? First and foremost, it starts really with, with separation, right? So I think, again, uh, as we'll kind of talk about throughout the episode is receivers come in all sorts of different flavors, right? And I think that's one of the things that makes it so hard uh, to project these guys, you know, from college. I probably think it's among the more difficult positions to project. Um, and, and we've seen in recent seasons, you know, the teams are having a lot of trouble projecting these guys as well. So uh, I think that's part's really tough. But when you narrow in on kind of the different flavors of receivers, Shanahan absolutely prefers guys who can separate, right? So much of his offense... Uh, is about creating separation to begin with. And so when you factor in the the separation that just naturally gets created with what he's doing schematically on offense with receivers who are able to, you know, generate separation from man coverage on their own, you get a quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo who really excels at throwing to open receivers who have been able to generate that separation. Like that's really the formula for what this team is doing in the pass game and what they're looking for at wide receiver. So something that helps the separation is athleticism. Of course, the team values speed. So that's another thing that you'll look to when trying to find players that could fit with the 49ers is not just how they separate and do they separate, but also just overall athleticism, including, and some of that athleticism helps you separate uh, because especially when you're looking at the profile of an interior kind of slot guy, you want to have a three cone that is relatively good so that you can separate and, and run really good option routes. So I think the other thing that Shanahan really focuses on with his wide receivers is the entire unit that is the wide receiving core and not just the one single number one receiver. Cause that's an elusive thing that you could chase that you could chase after forever. Um, the Detroit lions chased after it forever. Um, and, and they got it though. They, they finally got Props. it. Sure. Uh, but those, the, the Calvin Johnson's of the world don't come across your, yeah. your, your plate often, right? Julio Jones is great, but if you could find a lot of Julio Joneses, every team would go out and get them, right? It's not easy to just say, Oh yeah, you got to find that number one. You got to find that number one. 
the chances are you're never going to find one of those guys. And so you don't just sit there and say like, well, my wide receiver suck. What am I going to do now? You create a unit that complement each other. And for Shanahan, there's three pretty clear archetypes. Number one is you've got a bigger possession guy. And then you've got your speedster and then a quick interior wide receiver. And so that's going to be the three players that he puts together on the field that attack defenses in different ways. Yeah, I think the the key thing too to hit on that that possession type guy is it's really not it's not necessarily a big body. I think what you're looking for more in that role is just uh, kind of an element of toughness and, and an ability to make catches in kind of more contested, crowded situations, especially in the intermediate area. So it's not that they're looking for you know a huge receiver there that's like a big body type of guy. It's just somebody that needs to be. I mean, you look at Pierre Garçon, right? And and we're going to talk a lot about him uh, later and kind of how some of the guys really compare to that type of role, but he's not a huge guy, right? He's like just a shade under six foot, um, not overly uh, like bulky either, but he's a tough receiver who can make, you know, those grabs that are, that are tough with guys kind of draped over him. Um, and so I think that's kind of the big element that you're looking for there. And then, yeah, we know that he likes the Marquise Goodwin type of guy that can really stretch the field vertically. And then of course, from the slot perspective, I mean, we talked about maybe them looking to branch out here with guys like Jordan Matthews coming to the team. And so it'll be interesting to see kind of if they continue to do that, but uh, predominantly they've been looking for the smaller, I think more traditional slot type players that uh, are kind of the quick underneath guys that can really change direction well and be able to get in and out of cuts quickly. Yeah. You look at the players that, that Shanahan has gone after in that area, Trent Taylor, Richie James, yep. all have very, very good change of direction skills. The short shuttle and the three cone are going to be your beacons of light when you're looking at those kind of slot guys that Shanahan might prefer. So I think the other thing in this area that's important to note is something about quarterback style. Because one, one of the things we're not going to do is just say, oh, the Niners need a big-bodied wide receiver, and so let's go look at guys that are 6'4 and taller because you need a big target. Um, there's not always necess- That's not always a wide receiver that teams are going to be able to use or leverage correctly. Um, and I don't even know that that skill set is super valuable in today's NFL, right? Yeah. So when, when we look at quarterback style, what do we mean, and what do we mean when we say that it's sticky from year to year? Well, I think the greatest example of this is someone like Jameis Winston. Jameis Winston has a very particular style. He's going to make a couple of throws that are like, oh my God, eye-poppingly good. Holy hell, there's a reason that you were drafted first overall in the draft. And then he's also going to make a bunch of boneheaded throws where you're like, why, why did you throw it straight to the linebacker? That's part of his style. He's a high-risk uh, and then turnover-prone quarterback. That's going to be pretty stable year to year. He's going to make those mistakes, but he's also going to make those eye-popping throws year to year. Quarterbacks that are safe are generally going to be safe year to year. That's part of their style. It's ingrained in how they play the game. And so that's sticky from year to year. That correlates year to year. And so when we look at Jimmy Garoppolo, he is not a contested ball thrower. That's not a part of his game that he's going to leverage over and over and over again. And so it's not necessarily that wide receiver that we're going to look for or that I think the team is looking for that's going to be that big 6'4", 6'5", jump ball guy just because you think you need one of those guys. Right, and I think it's important to to point out with Jimmy too is this is something that's been true for his entire career, right? Even when you go back to uh, his, albeit limited, sample you know, of, of uh, dropbacks in New England, still he was looking at you know, about 23% of his throws were thrown into tight windows. That number has held exactly the same so far in San Francisco. So uh, I think right now that is what he is as a quarterback. And we've talked about this at length previously where he's a guy that really prefers to throw to open guys. He's very, very accurate when doing that. Uh, and if you give him a little bit of separation, that's where he's going to be most comfortable. But you you get him throwing into the tight windows. And I think especially downfield, one thing we just really haven't seen from him in San Francisco at all is like the jump ball type contested catches, right? Because there's a lot of a lot of variety there that you can get. You know, not every contested catch is necessarily a 50-50 ball downfield. But when you specifically zero in on those type of throws, we just don't see him from him at all, right? When he's throwing deep down the field, uh, which in that first season was not all that common in and of itself, but it's to guys who are kind of streaking open behind the defense, right? Or, or have, you know, a good amount of separation and he's leading them to space. Like that's more the type of throw that I think we would expect him to make on those deep shots. He's just not a guy that's super comfortable for whatever reason, uh, you know, throwing those, those jump balls. So I think when you look at those type of receivers, yes, that can be valuable, uh, for some offenses, right? I think we've seen the Jameis Winston example is great when you pair him with guys like Mike Evans, 
Mike Evans is that type of receiver, and that fits perfectly because you have a quarterback who's willing to make those type of throws. I don't think you just add that type of player just for the sake of adding him when you don't have a quarterback who's going to really utilize him. Yeah, there's there's no reason to put that tool in your arsenal if that tool's going to go unused. Yeah. And I think this is why Shanahan... I mean, Shanahan had cut-ups of Jimmy Garoppolo as the example of what he wanted out of a quarterback because Shanahan can get guys into space, and the one thing Jimmy Garoppolo does incredibly well is throw accurately to people in space. And that's why players that can separate, I think, are also high on Shanahan's list of the type of player that you want to get because you're creating space. I've got a quarterback who's very good at throwing to receivers when they have space. You put those two things together, and that's akin to the pairing of Mike Evans and Jameis Winston. So I think something important to note about the profile of wide receiver as we move through and discuss these different prospects that are available in this draft class. So Let's get to the big buckets of receivers, because what we did for talking about this year's wide receiver class, since there's no real consensus kind of number one, it means that the style or type of receiver that you want is going to determine a lot. And so we bucketed the receivers this year into three categories. First, the big guys, then the speedsters, and then the separators. And we're going to ask questions about each one of those groups of players. And so we'll start with the big guys. And the first thing we're going to do is talk about the big guys we're not going to talk about. (laughs) <laughs> right. So I think there's two type of guys uh, that you're looking at kind of in, in these exclusions. One is going to be uh, DK Metcalf. And really the, the reality with him is they're just not going to be in a position to take him. Right. Uh, he's going to go in an area that they are just very unlikely to pick. And so it's just like he's probably the one guy, you know, mentioned no real top consensus guy in this class, especially a guy that can really do everything well. Um, he's as close as it gets to being, you know, what everybody really agrees is probably going to be the first receiver off the board. And so because of that, I, I just think it's it's highly, highly unlikely they're in a position to take him. So you kind of throw him out at the top. And then on the other side of things, you know, some guys who names have popped up, but they just don't really have the skill level uh, that's that's necessary to really talk about, you know, taking these guys on day two, you know, maybe early day three, which is, I guess we should, we should also clarify, that's really the area that we're focused on is kind of those guys that are, you're likely looking at to be available in, you know, second through fourth round, say. Like, that's kind of the range we think is the deepest in this class. It's where most of these guys fall, and I think that's also the the area that's most likely for the 49ers to come away with a receiver who can actually have some impact. So when you look at guys like Kelvin Harmon, Miles Boykin, I think they're both big receivers. Uh, they fall on complete opposite ends of the athletic spectrum. Miles Boykin uh, is an official Three Sigma athlete now. Kelvin Harmon, very much not that. Uh, and And so... <laughs> That's kind of their issue, right? Is it's a skill level thing for Harmon. I think it's a combination of skill level and really just not having the the requisite athleticism to translate. So those are guys whose names have been brought up in various capacities that we're just going to kind of discard off the top. Yeah, for me, this is a little bit like the Kelvin Benjamin rule. It's like he did one thing really, really well, and that skill set is just not proven to be something that you can successfully take advantage of over and over and over again at the NFL level. Um, I think the and so I, those those types of players that just do one thing are not really going to be where we focus. So the key question really with this group of bigger wide receivers, because this supposedly is the year of the big wide receiver, at least in, in, in yep. draft prospect wise. The, the question I think is then, are there any receivers that are more than just big bodied contested catch guys? Because that's going to be if the Niners are going to come away with a bigger wide receiver, the kind of the, the tree that you're going to pluck the fruit from. Right. I I think, uh, thankfully, the answer is yes. You know, if they do want to look for a bigger guy, I think you can find somebody who's more than just that, that brings some skill to the table. Um, You know, the interesting thing with receivers in this group in particular is uh, because none of them are really that top prospect, like they all have some, like none of them are finished products, right? So there's all, you're kind of looking for some things that flash on occasion that you might be able to work with. And, and is that enough to overcome some of the downsides and things that they're lacking in? So I think there's really three guys that we've identified in this group that kind of stand out to us uh, as being players who would be worth taking uh, a chance on who could potentially prove to be more than just that big body. I think the three that we're looking at are J.J. Arcega-Whiteside uh, from Stanford, Nikhil Harry out of Arizona State, and then A.J. Brown from Ole Miss. So let's start with J.J. Arcega-Whiteside because his name is the most fun to say, <laughs> and and that's really the only reason he's up first. Uh, overall, when you watch his tape, he's got great burst and he's got great hands. He is the guy who, if you're looking at an archetype of a big wide receiver who's able to body people, especially in the red zone, 
this is your prototype. The dude is a box out king. And when you watch his tape over and over and over again, you see him do one thing and one thing only, and that's run straight. <laughs> and then if you're in the red zone, it's turn around and box out. I mean, his, I can imagine his huddles are very, very boring because he, <laughs> he runs into the huddle and he's like, yeah, yeah, I got it. Run a nine round. Okay, cool. Uh, and then it's like run a fade, run a nine, run a hitch, run a fade, run a nine. But the thing is, he's really, really good at doing those things. Right. I, I think the, the thing that makes me think that he can be more than that, right? So I, I guess... Backing up for a second, you start with his one trick, if that's going to be what he is, right? His one trick is really, really good. He he is better at that thing than basically everybody else in this class. So I think that's a decent starting point if you're, you're going to go that direction. But the reason we feel like he can really be more than that is I think you do see more burst and a little bit more in the way off the release with him that makes you encourage that he might have more as a route runner and be able to separate. I think one of the things really working against him and makes him uh, kind of a tougher evaluation is again, the type of routes that he was running. It was very much just kind of all on this vertical silo that was out there out wide on an Island. Didn't run a lot of routes for that, that, that really lend themselves to creating separation. Right. So I think the times that you saw him, uh, you know, kind of have to run some slants against press coverage or, you know, get some of those things in uh, where you have the ability to to really separate from a guy in man coverage. I think you saw some encouraging things there. And so there's there's some hope that he would be able to do that on a more consistent base at the NFL level because uh, he did, you know, test very well. I think the athleticism is is very good there. So that kind of combination of things, I think more than any of the other big receivers makes you feel like he might be the guy that can really separate at the intermediate level more. I, I thought you were going to say separate from this class, and I was like, oh, the puns ooh, are, the puns are ooh, strong. The puns missed are strong. opportunity. I, I do think on, so. Uh, so the, does the fact that he did not perform well against high-level competition worry you? Because when you look at his game against Washington, he was going up against Byron Murphy, someone who we talked about in, in our cornerback class preview, but he only went one for 11, uh, one catch on 11 targets against someone like Byron Murphy. And so it, it is the worry that he was able to physically dominate a lot of corners because he is bigger, stronger, faster than a lot of them, and he can just run by them or box them out. But when he goes up against someone who is a bit more technically sound, someone who is also a potential first-round prospect, he is not able to do as much or as well as he could against other players. I mean, you never like to see it, right? It's never it's never like an overly positive thing uh, when, when they do struggle against some of the better guys that they face. I think you still fall back on the... Uh, you know, idea that you never want to really overreact to one game, right? And there's a lot of factors that can go into having that poor game against that that top cornerback or, or whatever it may be. Um, so you don't want to like let that skew the evaluation too much. Um, and I think the other thing in, that that's nice about him is you worry about that. I think a lot more with guys that come from lower competition levels, right? So if you're not a, from a power five school and you're not going up against you know talented good athletes week in and week out and you get your kind of one or two opportunities to go up against them, you really do, you know, prefer to see them uh, at least compete well in, in those games because that gives you that uh, a little bit more confidence that they, they're they going to be able to translate a little bit better. So uh, I think I'm not overly worried. He's, you know, playing against Pac-12 competition, which, again, it's not like it's the SEC defensively, but there's, there's good players that have come out of that conference, you know, especially at cornerback. So I think, uh, yeah, it's not something that I'm going to let – throw my evaluation one way or another. All right, so the next player in this bucket is going to be Nikhil Harry from Arizona State. And, and Nikhil Harry is actually someone that I came away from the film watching session really impressed with his game. Uh, I thought that he, again, still has a very, very good contested catch abilities. He's 53% contested catch rate. But what I liked more was his ability after the catch. He forced 15 missed tackles last season, and his ability after the catch was overall really, really good. Uh, there was, a, I think, that what, there was that one play where he just basically was making people do, uh, kind of blow by him. It looked like Reggie Bush where he would just, like, stop. Yeah, I mean, honestly, several plays yeah. like that, really, where he was able to turn. I mean, the the kind of bummer with him and, and his target is his targets is that you get a lot of screens in there, which is like, especially for a big guy, uh, on one hand, you like to see him make the most of those opportunities, right? And we saw him take a number of screens and turn those into big gains with his ability after the catch. But it's just unlikely that those players, you know, a lot of times they're getting them on uh, their college teams because they're just the best player that they've got by a decent margin. And and they're just going to they're going to be the ones you kind of force feed targets to and hope something can happen. Whereas once they get to the NFL, those type of targets are really going to fall by the wayside. So you don't expect him to be that same type of 
heavy screen player in the NFL, but it does show you, I think, some athleticism there. You know, the one thing that we were kind of worried about is, I think, from a vertical standpoint, he's not, you know, a lot of the the, the big guys that you're looking at in this class are really bigger downfield threats. Um, he doesn't really, I think, bring as much of a downfield element because acceleration is kind of an issue with him. You see corners, um, you know, Justin Lane, who we talked about in the cornerback episode in Michigan State, um, really did a, a good job of getting on top of him on any time he tried to go vertical and, and really preventing him from having the opportunity to get behind him and get deep. And, and I think a lot of that came back to just it takes him a second to get going. But on the screens and some of the plays where he does get in the open field, once he gets going, I think there's you know there's some deep speed there that he's not a bad athlete by any stretch. Um, so I think the the area though, if you look at where he wins most, the thing that I'm most excited about him and why I think he can be more than the big body, uh, he's very good in the intermediate area as well. When you look at this draft class, he was the highest graded player on targets between 10 and 19 yards. So right in the middle of the field there, that's a, the area that we know Shanahan likes to attack the most. So I think that is an encouraging thing. Uh, and he is somebody they can experiment with, you know, if they decide to use a little bit more of that big slot role. I think we saw him get a little bit more vertical when he could be in the slot and have a little bit of a free release to get to kind of build up that head of steam first. Um, but I think he's an interesting guy that, you know, makes a lot of sense for them potentially in, in kind of those mid rounds. Yeah. When you would look at the way that he would run successful slants, he, he does the thing that you see often successful slant runners in the NFL do, which is close the gap really quickly on the corner, cut to the outside, get the corner to flip and then come back inside and cut across that corner's face and create separation. He was able to do that at the intermediate level, which is something that I know Shanahan really likes to do with someone like a Pierre Garcon. And he does have the athleticism to run something like a Y cross, which we know is a, a big part of his offense. That intermediate kind of dig Y cross area is uh, where these wide receivers are going to make their money for the 49ers. Now, the third person in this bucket is going to be AJ Brown from Ole Miss. And AJ Brown um, is arguably the best wide receiver uh, on Ole Miss. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, mean, I, I don't know that when, I get why people love DK Metcalf. And I get I think when someone mentioned the Terrell Owens comp, I was like, OK. That it makes it yeah. gives, it makes a lot more sense sure. now. Mm-hmm. But when I watch the film, I think AJ Brown, man, he's he's probably just as good. I think. I I think the nice thing about AJ Brown is that he can win in more ways, right? I think uh, sometimes, and I think people are maybe more down on him because of how he was utilized because they had DK Metcalf that usually was on the outside. AJ Brown kind of fit into the slot, right? And and some of the things that they were doing in that offense with the slot, you know, aren't really things that I think a lot of people. Uh, really fall in love with very easily, right? They don't jump out necessarily as being traits that are going to readily translate to the NFL. I think the nice thing is when he did have an opportunity to go to the outside and uh, fill in for DK Metcalf when he was out over the latter half of this season, he was really good. He was really good in yeah. in that uh, in those games. Like, uh, did show some ability to be able to run the intermediate routes and separate. Um, I think he's another one that is really good, really strong after the catch. You know, he's not uh, just some freak athlete. He's not going to run away from a lot of people, but the strength is there. He's going to break tackles, much like Nikhil Harry. That's kind of the way he wins after the catch is, is being more physical, being able to to kind of shed guys and get by them as opposed to uh, necessarily being overly elusive and running by guys. So I think he kind of just does the – he does a little bit of everything, right? There, There's a little bit of everything there in his tape. And so I think the versatility that he brings is probably uh, his biggest you know, positive trait compared to a lot of these other guys. And it's pretty clear that he plays Madden in his spare time because <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. he got an 84-yard touchdown against Vanderbilt and he just started running along the uh, end zone <laughs> before he went into the end zone. And, you know, if you've ever played Madden, you know, that's the time killer, man. Classic. Yeah, you, you got to run that clock. Uh, I, I actually did like A.J. Brown's tape a lot, came away impressed, but... Uh, if he's going to win, it's not going to be winning deep in the more traditional kind of way. Um, he's going to be that intermediate guy that uh, similarly, I think too, someone like Nikhil Harry is going to be able to win with power through contact um, near the top of a route at about 12, 15 yards, um, yeah. which is exactly what you want out of a receiver in this area. Um, the, the only thing that would worry me is that he didn't seem to have a, uh, like a strong get off off the line. Um, I don't know if that's just because he was loafing or, or whatever, but I actually went and looked at his 10 yard split and it was pretty good. It was 1.59, which is right in that kind of same area as Pierre Garcon, but it didn't seem like he was fully turning on those jets in the initial 10, 15 yards area. Um, and, and so that I think didn't quite match what he did 
at the combine versus what I saw right. on tape. Um, but other than that, I thought he he still performed exceptionally well in the intermediate area. Yeah, I think the you know the if you want to give him the benefit of the doubt for kind of that, it, you look at what he was doing in the slot, and a lot of times again, you're not really dealing with press off the top and. And so a lot of times when you get a lot of zone coverage, like they tend to do, so Ole Miss runs a very up-tempo, fast-paced offense. You, you get a lot of kind of basic zone quarters coverage that everybody loves to run at, at the college level. Um, and so a lot of times, a lot of his snaps are just kind of no one over the top of him in the slot. And, and there's not really a need to get off to that like very quick start, right? You, so you have to, I, guess, I, th- I think that's an important thing to call out when looking at route running in general, right? Is look at what they're doing it against in zone route running is about making the sharpest cuts. And, you know, you're not running away from anybody in particular, right? You're not setting up any one defender. It's about being able to, to get the timing, right. Being able to find open spaces. In some uh, cases it might mess you up because you yeah. get to that space too quickly and it's, it, it sets the timing off with the quarterback. And then all of a sudden you flash in that zone and then the zone defender gets near you. You could actually screw a whole lot of things up if you get there too quickly. Totally. So I think that's the one thing that you would maybe throw in his, cause he, he did show it when he needed oh, to, right? I think that was the key thing that we we yeah. liked, really. Yeah, he he did have the ability to show it. It wasn't like I never saw him get off the line quickly yeah. on tape. Um, it was definitely something that was there. I think against South Carolina, he had a good couple of reps where he did close that gap very very quickly. Um, and he's, I mean, he's able to get through press, especially if they're super weak attempts. Uh, he didn't have to do it often, especially because he was in the slot. But it definitely had the ability to to do that. And so I actually, I like his tape as well. Yeah, uh, I like, I, so I think really like closing thoughts on these guys, I think Nikhil Harry and AJ Brown are actually pretty similar type yep. of players overall. I think they both can be used out wide in the slot. I both, I think both of them are better vertical options in the slot than they are out wide. Um, and I think you can kind of use them in a, a couple different spots. I think I would probably give Brown an edge. I think he's a little bit more well-rounded at this, at this stage. Um, and so I think that's enough to kind of give him the nod, but I like both of those guys, you know, there, uh, in, in kind of that day two range for sure. Yeah. I don't know whether or not I like Brown or Harry better, but those are, I think I would probably prefer them a little bit more than Arcega Whiteside at this point. Not because I don't think Arcega Whiteside is not very good, but just because I've seen them do more. Um, and and if I'm going to go with someone in the second round, I'm not going to project as much. Um, And I think the, the thing with our Sega white side too, like, I think more people, again, this is with receivers, you know, you look at r- rankings uh, in every site can be wildly different just because of all those things we were talking about at the top. And so, I, but I think if our Sega white side more than those other two is more likely to go earlier. Yeah. Uh, I think people, you know, really, there's a lot of momentum behind his game right now, I think. And, and so I think it's, it's more likely that he goes maybe in that late first, even potentially. Like if you're going to take our Sega white side, you're taking him at the top with your pick at the top of the second, right? Yeah. You're not really getting him later, I don't think. These other guys, I think there's a higher likelihood they might fall a little bit depending on where things land with the rest of them. All right, so let's get to the second bucket, which is going to be our speedsters. But before we get to the speedsters, a quick word from our sponsors. All right, so the speedsters, contractually obligated to be named Marquise. Uh, because the, the, the players in this bucket are Marquise Brown from Oklahoma, uh, Terry McLaurin from Ohio State, goes by Marquise, uh, Paris Campbell from Ohio State, also goes by Marquise. It's really crazy how that worked out. I, yeah. I don't know why or how. I, look, I don't make the rules, man. I don't ask questions. I just know lots of Marquises. Uh, to be fair, only one of these players is actually named Marquise. Correct. Uh, and that's Marquise Brown from Oklahoma, who is a lot of fun to watch. As, yeah. as long as you can get over your fear of him breaking... Every time he gets hit, uh, he weighs as much as I do, and I am not a large human. That's always a concern. That there. When yep. when players in the NFL share physical comps with either one of you or I, it is always a concern. not a good sign. <laughs> we are not definitively not NFL athletes. No. Uh, yeah. So I think when you when you look at that group, um, Marquise Brown is, I think, clearly the most talented player uh, at at this stage where. He has shown the most, like he's, uh, he's a guy that's almost certainly going to go much earlier than the other two. Um, and you look at his downfield ability and it's just like, he just runs by dudes. Does he fall under the Kyler Murray rule where it's like he can play football? So why worry about his size? And he's played it at a high level at a good school. It's not like he's playing against, you know, it's not like he's playing for Akron or some directional school, right? (laughs) Um, Southeast, Northwest, you know, Minnesota state or whatever, but 
does he fall in that bucket where it's like we're probably making too much about it and the the dude can just play so just put it past you and and let it be that i think there's an element so uh i actually really liked what renner said so if you uh on on pff.com you have uh a bunch of player profiles that that steve and renner have been putting out and on the one with marquise brown they actually talk about uh with small receivers the Tavon austin to deshaun jackson spectrum where where do they kind of fall on that and and kind of how much does it the small size matter and different things and you know one of the things you bring up with with brown is He's open so often, right? And he's running by guys so frequently that at what point does his size not really matter because he's not around people. Like, he's not around bodies anymore. Like, nobody's able to get his hands on this guy. Uh, And and so that size and, like, you know, he has, like, I think five contested catches in his entire career at Oklahoma, which is just... uh, That's pretty funny. But it's like, okay, on what... Like, that's, you know, much lower than you would expect for an NFL wide receiver generally. But also, like he's not in contested situations very often because he's running by everyone. So I don't know. I think it's interesting. Well, I think the other question here then is, is this where the Niners should go with their second overall, with their second round pick with, or with that pick and maybe the trade up, whatever the hell you want to call it, but with their second pick in the draft, because if the Niners have something that's been confirmed, it's a fast guy named Marquise. You know, they've, they've got Marquise Goodwin. Uh, And, and honestly, you look at Dante Pettis, who I think the team does have slated as the Z receiver, which is the same position that Marquise played when he had his near thousand yard season in 2017. So it seems like if the Niners are going to play a fast guy, it's going to be either Pettis or Marquise. They've already got some depth at that part of the roster. Is that then where they want to spend another pick? Or is it going to be more in the I'm going to replace Pierre Garçon, uh, Garçon area and maybe get that kind of bigger bodied receiver that Shanahan likes or maybe a player they think is their you know, number one overall if they think that person exists in this draft? I would not do it at 36. So if you, you kind of look, you know, we're going to put all this together in, in the next episode and, and kind of look at where we think things are going to fall generally for this team. But I think right now the most likely scenario is they're going to be looking at an edge rusher at the top of the first and then at the top of the second, you know, we're obviously very strong believers in that they should be looking at coverage at that point. I think it's going to be the best use of that resource. Um, if you are going to go receiver at that point, I wouldn't spend it on this type of player that, yeah, you do have, you know, a very good player already on the roster that can fill that role. I think when you look at the Ohio State guys, though, McLaurin and, and Campbell, they're much likely to be available uh, much later, right? Like these are guys that you might even be able to get uh, day three at some point just because that Ohio state offense was so loaded with playmakers that none of these guys really got an opportunity to kind of stand out and, and get a significant workload. And so you see guys like McLaurin had, I think something like 60 targets this year. Uh, Paris Campbell had more than that, had near a hundred targets, but only 21 of them came on tar- uh, on throws like over 10 yards in the air. A lot of it was screens and, and jet sweeps and stuff like really underneath the defense. He was kind of that, uh, slot gadget guy for them. And so with those two players, I think you're, you're looking at a lot more projection. Both of them can fly and, sh- and you know, shown the ability to, to be able to get behind the, def- the defense. Uh, I think whether they have the other parts of their game still remains to be seen. And so because of that, I think you're, you're potentially able to take a chance on a super athletic, talented player that can develop, you know, later in the draft. I like that direction more in this group than going with say Brown at 36 or whatever it is. I think what Al Davis and the Raiders didn't really super duper understand, well, maybe it was a little bit different back then, but I think now speed is not a rare trait that you need to draft high if the only thing you have is speed. Right. I think that you can get speed as a a trait much later in the draft if you're going to just gamble on an upside athlete and say, hey, I think this person could, you know, they're just really, really fast. And, And you can draft that on day three. And that's why I think someone like or spending that pick at the top of the second doesn't make a lot of sense. You want a more complete player there. Sure. If you're just going to get speed and you're just going to have a speedster, I, I think you wait. I think if you do wait, though, someone like Paris Campbell or McLaurin becomes quite a bit more palatable. Um, I, I'm actually interested to see what Paris Campbell could do because I think he is um, I think he's probably a little better than Terry McLaurin, at least in, in the film that we watched. I liked his play better. Yeah. Um, and he's, I mean, the dude's a ridiculous athlete. So if you're going to take a gamble and it's going to be late, why not gamble on athleticism? Gamble on Campbell, That's, right? Oh, Am I right? Man, there it is. There, there it is. is. All right. Yeah. All right. Gamble yeah. on Campbell. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, I think right now on, on those two, McLaurin, I think is probably a better route runner. And, and that may also just be 
um, because he's had more of an opportunity to showcase those skills just because of how they were used. Uh, I think he showed up well at the senior bowl too, which is, you know, always kind of, you don't want to put too much weight into that, but it's, it's encouraging when you can go to, uh, you know, that event against other top competition and, and do well. So I think that showed well for him. Um, but yeah, Campbell's a really interesting guy because he's just, he's so athletic and so explosive that you can almost certainly with a creative play caller like Shanahan find ways to get him the ball. Even if it's only a handful of times a game, like he's a potential difference maker on those few snaps. Uh, I think he leans, you know, I, I don't, I'm not ready to call him Tavon Austin yet. I think there's more to his game than he that. He leans on more that. on the, on the scale. Yeah. So I, I think he's a really interesting player, but it's just so hard to project him right now because there's just so little to go on with his actual downfield route running, you know, receivery things that he needs to be able to do at the NFL level. Receivery things, technical term. Yes, very Absolutely. technical here. All right, so let's get to the separators then. And, and let's get to the players that we think that someone like Kyle Shanahan is going to value. Uh, and also probably some of the better, or at least the players that have been touted as the better players overall in this draft, players that we think could really fit with the 49ers. Um, and so the, the players in this group are going to be Andy Isabella, Riley Ridley, and Debo Samuel. And so this, these are the players that make up the separator category. The question for this category then is whether or not we know, we know that Shanahan prefers this type of player, but the bucket is pretty little. Uh, And when you look at the overall talent level of someone like Isabella, he's someone who's being consistently mocked to to the Patriots Um, because, you know, wonder why. uh, Yeah. But that's at, you know, end of the first round, obviously. Right. So is this, are these guys actually worth taking? Or are these just kind of the best of a bad crop and you don't necessarily want to overspend on this group of players because they're they're just best of this year and not necessarily best overall? A little bit of both, I think. Uh, so, so I think there are definitely some players that are worth taking in, in this group. I think the one, and this is actually uh, really surprised, like what I expected to... Uh, you know, I guess my thoughts on them prior to really digging into the tape and stuff like that, the player I expected to really like the most of this group was Riley Ridley. And he was, I think the one that I by far liked the least, uh, he just true story. There's just, I I think it's, it's tough there. You see some route running ability for sure, but it's just there. But He's constantly running those routes in molasses. Right. He, he is. So the, the thing that you look at when you compare him, cause a lot of people want to compare him obviously to his brother last year, Calvin Ridley, uh, who was ultimately a first round pick. And, uh, I think while there are some broad similarities, you know, their last name's Ridley, uh, they shared a mother. Um, <laughs> I think literally a broad similarity. <laughs> uh, I guess if you had to point to one trait, like their route running is probably it. Uh, But the thing is they're both really bad athletes overall, right? When you look at the composite scores, you look at their spark scores, both players, I think uh, Riley's actually did a little bit better. He's like a 15th percentile guy. Calvin though was like an eighth or ninth percentile. The difference though is Calvin Ridley had some straight line speed that I think really, so you could, you could basically say, okay, we know that this guy is fast and, and is uh, has NFL speed for a receiver. And while some of the other stuff's lacking, he wasn't very explosive, the route running skill that he had could kind of make up for those other poor athletic traits, right? I think that was the argument that you really had with Calvin. You don't have that same argument, really. He's slow. He doesn't change direction all that well. And I think you look at a lot of his targets were just kind of wide open targets wide open underneath targets. zones. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I just, I don't feel very good about his game translating to the next level. And I mean, if Riley really is going to win somewhere in the NFL, that's where he's going to win. It's going to win as an underneath zone player, but there are, but again, I think you go to skill scarcity. That's not a super rare skill to be able to run a drag route through a couple of underneath zones. I am also most likely to win underneath <laughs> very, very soft zone coverage in the NFL. So Yeah. That is that is accurate, but but I think when you when you look at the other players in this category, Andy Isabella, I mean, there's a reason that he's been getting a lot of buzz, uh, and that's because he is really really good at football. Uh, what I put in the show notes here is that if Trent Taylor were to be bitten by a radioactive spider, he would be Andy Isabella. <laughs> I mean, love it, love love that comparison. Yeah, uh, yeah. You see him. Um, I think the nice thing with Andy Isabella, and, and I actually think he's probably the guy in this group that we like the most. Um, is you see him do kind of everything because of that athleticism, right? He has both 
the change of direction. So you can see him lining up, you know, in the slot for the 49ers and doing some of those Trent Taylor-y things uh, that they really like to do. But he's also a good enough athlete that he can be on the outside and he can run the vertical route tree as well and be somebody who can get behind the defense and really threaten things that way. So I think there's a lot of versatility with his game that would appeal to Shanahan. And it's the right kind of versatility. He does a combination of things we know this offense likes. But at 5'8", because he's on the smaller side of life, right? He's five, he, sure. His combine numbers are 5'8", uh, and almost 5'9", 188. Um, Shanahan doesn't need super tall 6'4", 6'5", guys, but would he be able to slot in for someone like a Pierre Garçon? Or if he were to be drafted by the 49ers, let's say some rando thing happens and the Niners are able to draft him, wh- where does he fit on the wide receiver uh, core? Because he doesn't really fit clearly into any one of those molds other than just being the best slot receiver immediately on the team. I think he can honestly potentially do a little bit of all of it. So I think obviously you have the deep the deep stuff there, the, the Marquise Goodwin stuff, right? He uh, will run the shit out of that deep post and, and deep crossing route good on it. the play action, right? Like the speed will really show up there. He sets those routes up well. Um, and so I think you, you can see him fitting in there. There's one thing if, if you're watching, if you're doing kind of this like, you know, couch figure out how wide receivers play, there's one thing wide receivers, really good wide receivers do, which is they stack the DB. And by that, we mean that they get past them, but then get on top of them to prevent the DB from getting through them and, and making a play on the ball. And if they do, they've got to go through the wide receiver and that ends up being a penalty of some kind. Yep. Really, really good wide receivers. You'll see them stack the DB over and over and over again. They'll get past them and then they'll get right on top of them to either force a penalty um, or prevent them from catching up. And Isabella does that really, really well. Definitely. So I think, you know, of the three positions, I think it's it's easy to see how he fits into the the Goodwin style role and the vertical routes and, and kind of those deep crossing routes that they love on play action. I think it's easy to see how he fits in the slot. I think the one that's the biggest question mark is is kind of can he do the Garsoni type things in in the intermediate level? I lean yes, but that that's more question mark. But I think he is. It's, it's kind of almost. I think I feel better about saying this with him than somebody like Goodwin. But it's that if he's good enough and he's consistently separating right, like then you don't need to be quite as tough. But I, I think you see more of a toughness with him and his game and being able to maybe make some of those throws with bodies around or make some of those catches with bodies around uh, than, than somebody like um, Brown. But yeah, I, I think that he can do a little bit of everything. But if I had to pick the two roles, it's the deep guy and the slot guy. I think the, yeah. the most questions are in that intermediate. Level. I, I think if you're looking at him, if you're looking at a comp for him where he can fit a bit more of that, um, of that Z receiver mole, it's because you think he's like Steve Smith. Because I think Steve Smith could do all the things that Pierre Garçon could do. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, and he was also similarly, I think, 5'8", 5'9". Yes. Um, so I, I think that's, if you're looking for a comp that is um, maybe less racist, um, then you're looking at someone like Steve Smith, uh, because I think he is, he is, he can be that good. Um, and he, he probably won't have the, the same physicality, but he has the same skill. Right. I think it's it's very important to note that he is not just your, like, typical white slot receiver, right? That he's not Trent Taylor. Um, he, he is more than that. He is a much, much better athlete than somebody like Trent Taylor is. Um, and really did show the ability. I mean, again, he's coming from, we, we, all the things we talked about coming from a small school, right? What do we want to see from those small school players? Be incredible athletes. He's that do well against the higher end competition that you play. He did that Torch Georgia for 200, 200 yards. yards. Um, so, I mean, I think anytime he's had an opportunity to prove himself against better competition, he had some other games in there against, you know, schools that are certainly better than UMass and, and did well against them. So, uh, I, I think, yeah, everything that you look at from the small school prospects that you'd like to see, he checks all of those boxes. And so I think he's a guy that just, again, from a pure versatility standpoint, um, we heard him talk about this, you know, Shanahan uh, with Pettis last year, and Pettis can potentially play all three. I think Isabella in, in maybe has a leans a different direction with the, the, that ability, but still could potentially do it if needed. Now, the last person in this category is Debo Samuel uh, from South Carolina, and he's someone who the 49ers have, have been rumored interest uh, or having interest in. Uh, he had the fifth fastest short shuttle time of the draft eligible wide receivers this year at 4.14 seconds. And he's someone I think whose game I also similarly really liked. I think he was a player that, you know, he got on my radar obviously because the, I think Matt Mayoko said that the Niners were targeting a couple of wide receivers in the second round and it was Nikhil Harry and Debo Samuel. And and when you look at Samuel's tape, it's pretty clear why Um, it's because he 
he is, I think, the person who compares most similarly to Pierre Garçon, sure. not just in in his size, but also his athleticism and the way that he runs routes. Uh, I think he's also similarly good at those intermediate area routes, and he's got very, very good hands. And it, it, it sounds crazy, I know, but like, what do you want a wide receiver to do? Catch the ball, and you want them to be a natural ball catcher. Um, and, and he can do that. And, and so I think overall, D- Debo Samuel is someone that it's pretty obvious why the team likes him. Uh, and I think that if they end up going that way um, at the top of the second, I, I don't think that's a bad pick at all. Right. I think he's the best route runner um, uh, probably that we have talked about today. Probably. Yeah. I'd have to. Um, let me let me think. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, I mean, yeah, a lot of a lot of names we're talking about. But I think, yeah, he's he's very much in that conversation. And that's his is probably his biggest strength. And you have to look through a lot of noise with his college tape because you don't like had, passes to the line of scrimmage, bro. Come on, man. I mean, yeah, dude had a lot. It wasn't necessarily quite Paris Campbell level where it was like, you know, 80 of his targets, 80 of his hundred targets were that. But it was like 40 percent of his targets uh, for Debo Samuel came behind the line of scrimmage. So, again, a guy you can use if you if that's something you want to do in your offense is, uh, you know, a kind of jet sweep, you know, screen type of player. But I think when you when you kind of filtered even that stuff out and really just focused on what can he do, uh, you know, running down the field in the intermediate level, being able to run routes and separate from guys, I think you really like what you see. Again, he's another one. I mean, uh, Senior Bowl was very, very good for him on – Shanahan's roster at the senior bowl. Um, so they got an up close look at him, um, just did really well in that environment. So I think he's a guy that, yeah, is, is very interesting that can fill that kind of intermediate role that Garcon did, um, and, and be potentially very good at it. I, I, I like the fit with him a lot. Yeah. So I went back and I looked and, and at just the players we covered and yeah, I think you're right. I think he's the best route runner. Um, he, yeah. is, I think he's slippery. He is, he, he doesn't allow, DBs to get their hands on him very often. And when they do, he's able to get them off of him and get into his route. Um, And he's got a really, really good stutter off the line. If you give him just a yard of space, he can stutter and break one way or the other, which is, I think, really, really good. And he's built like Pierre Garçon. He's built in that kind of stocky, more running backy way, um, which he needs in order to fight players off at at the catch point. He's not going to be the same contested catch guy that maybe like Nikhil Harry might be. But I still don't think that that's not that that can't be a part of his game. He's a strong wide receiver, especially at at, when you think of like uh, the intermediate contested catches, right, which are going to be like on the dig routes. Right. So like the deep in breaking cuts there where you have a corner that's kind of on your back and need to be able to to make it or uh, any of those, you know, in breaking routes in the middle field and zone where you're worried about potentially running into another zone defender that's going to try to hit you right at the catch point and, and jar that ball loose. Right. Those type of things. I think he can make those type of tough catches really well. Uh, yeah, and, and you just get a little bit of everything from him athletically, right? I think overall, composite score-wise, uh, him and Brown and uh, Harry are all very similar overall athletes. But with Samuel, yeah, you see some quickness there, right? And, and kind of that that start and stop ability that really is good getting out of routes and being able to, to kind of uh, do work after the catch, which is why he was used on those behind-the-line-of-scrimmage throws so often. Um, has enough speed downfield. He's not going to be a huge burner, but you give him some open field, he's going to be able to chew some of that up, you know, potentially break away. We saw him uh, against Florida take a slant like 80 yards for to a touchdown, house, yeah. right, breaking a tackle in the process. So, uh, yeah, I think there's uh, a lot of things to like about his game. I think a lot of things that Shanahan really uh, gets his eyes on as well. Two things with Samuel. One is he only had four drops on the year, which is good. Uh, you want a wide receiver with hands, obvi. But he had one play that jumps that sticks out in my mind. And granted, it was against Coastal Carolina. But hey, man, a one-handed grab is still a one-handed grab. Uh, and it was a fader out that he ran. And he had a fantastic stutter step off the line, gets into the route, and is able to track the ball over his shoulder with one hand, catches it, brings it in, touchdown. I mean, that's that's impressive. He's got the ability to catch the ball over the shoulder, which is a skill that we didn't see often with a lot of these guys. A few a few players were able to do it. Uh, Isabella did it a couple of times. Um, and and I think so. I think when you look at what he's able to do on film with his ability to catch the ball, with his ability to win in short area spaces at the intermediate level, you look at his physical comp. It's it's pretty clear why the team is maybe targeting him yeah. um, because I think he's you know he could fit what the team needs and wants out of a role that they currently don't have. Speaking of one-handed catches, do yourself a favor. We forgot to bring this up earlier when talking oh, about him. Oh, yes. 
go watch. If you haven't seen it already, I'm sure most of you listening probably have seen this at some point, but Nikhil Harry's one-handed catch against USC this year, amazing. Go watch that. Yes, a lot of fun. it was. That's, you know what? We should have just like a one-handed, one-handed catch index. Like, yeah. And both of those players have, uh, have one-handed catches, so they're immediately going to be at the top of the board. That's how we should draft people. <laughs> not fast 40 times. We're not going to go to the Al Davis fast 40 school. It's going to be the one-handed catch rule. Fair. All yeah. Right. If I'm you in. can, let's, uh, it's a, it's an Odell Beckham one-handed catch test. If you can yep. do that, then you know, we're going to draft. Agreed. Uh, all right. So overall then it, all of these players, the, the area that we think the Niners should target a wide receiver is going to be in that second or maybe third round. If a lot of talent begins to slip through because you know, you, you never know how the, the, the board is going to fall. But if you were the Niners GM and you had to be locked into picking a wide receiver at that second round pick, which one of these players are you picking? at if it's at the second round especially i think i'm probably going aj brown i think is is probably my guy in that range um i wouldn't i wouldn't hate samuel though like so i think for me um i look at aj brown samuel and Nikhil harry all very close to me um you know again they all have slightly different strengths but uh also share a lot of similarities as well so i wouldn't hate any of those players at that pick but if i had to pick one personally right now i'd, I'd probably lean aj brown ever so slightly yeah for for me i'm looking to replace pierre garcon so that and i don't and i think andy isabella could be good enough to replace him but there's enough questions for me there that i kind of put him off to the side uh and so i'm, I'm operating in the same world that you are where we're looking at Nikhil harry debo samuel and, and aj brown and i look at you know i start with the physical comps to garcon and they all have similar size, 10-yard splits, 40 times. Um, they're all a little bit slower than Garcon was, actually. Um, but Garcon, like, not, that's not the 49ers version that we know, but people right. forget, like, dude was fast coming yeah, out. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but the thing is that Nikhil Harry, he's also big. He's like 6'2", he's over 6'2", 225. Um, and that's, that's a lot of mass to be moving at the speed at which he moves it, which actually kind of attracts me to him. I, I, I like that, and I like that he can be a contested catch wide receiver more so than the other two um, because of his size. And he displayed that ability at the collegiate level. Like he was very good at doing that, but I think he can be more. And so I think for me, you know, much like the Niners, it's probably going to be between Samuel and and Harry. I I would probably, I don't know. I, I lean... I lean a little bit hairy. I could be convinced either way. I'm like, I'm like yeah. a, 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 just a, a wind away from going one <laughs> way or the other because I, I like that, that Harry could do some of that contested catch stuff. I like that he's a little bigger. Um, but man, Samuel's route running is really good. It's really, really good. And, and that's probably where I would, I would land. But AJ Brown, I could easily see being the pick there if those two guys are off the board or if the team just thinks that he's better. Totally. Um, Oh, uh, I don't know. how. So, yeah, nothing nothing to add there. I think that's kind of where we land with that second-round pick. One guy that we completely forgot to to add on here that we did watch a little bit and uh, and talk about is uh, Keem Butler uh, from oh, Iowa right. State. that's right. Um, he is, I think, you know, summed up very quickly, and this is probably why we forgot him, is because we weren't <laughs> uh, terribly interested in, in the prospect of adding him. I think he is very much a one-trick pony. He is a... I mean, dude is huge. Uh, he's, he's very a big. large, large human being. It was not um, difficult to spot him on the L22. <laughs> yeah, we're talking over 6'5", 227 was what he came in at the combine. Um, you know, moves pretty well, especially vertically for that size. For that moves size, again, vertically very well. For that. Uh, and, and again, you have to take that into consideration. And, and I think you look at his spark score at 83rd percentile. So, but that's uh, also a weighted adjusted score. So like sure, he, he, gets, exactly. he gets bonus points for being that big. For being big. Um, but when you look at kind of the, the trade element and, and kind of what he's really doing to translate that to the field in, in productive ways, I mean, dude is a contested catch downfield monster. Uh, I think it's tough to know how much of that translates. So the thing that you run into with these big receivers in general like that is they have so many highlight plays that are just kind of insane because they are so so much more physically gifted than the guys they're going across from their bigger, stronger, faster. And they just are dunking on these like poor tiny cornerbacks right in college. And you see that a lot with, with Butler is he had some, uh, some of the most absurd plays that I watched this year in college football. The stiff um, arming the guy to Australia was a lot of fun. Yeah. In the Oklahoma game, yeah. uh, had a number of plays actually in that one that were really impressive, but that's really the only thing he he really struggles to get in on breaks. I think the if you're expecting a lot from him in the intermediate level, you're going to be very disappointed. I think 
Uh, even underneath, there's not a, a whole lot there. Like, I think and, he is very much only a downfield jump ball guy, and I'm just not interested in that. And the cardinal sin for me is that it, when he's not jumping up to get the ball downfield, he lets a lot of the balls get into his body. Um, and, and I think that hands are kind of paramount. He did have way more drops. Than, yeah, he had 11 drops guy, on the like, year, I think. Again, some really impressive catches, and uh, and the hands are, are there. Like, you have to have, yeah. you have to be good enough to write to make some of those. But yeah, just far too many drops for a player uh, that should have that ability level on. And yeah. So I think, yeah. On the year he had 11 drops. It's just not very good. Um, when I'm looking at other wide receivers that, you know, I think someone like Nikhil Harry, right? I don't think Nikhil Harry has, uh, is absent of that downfield ability. True. And so I think, okay, you, you have maybe a little bit less, you have that in a diminished capacity, but you have everything else in a much better capacity, better hands, better route running. Um, and you still have that physical control, I think overall with Nikhil Harry. So I think that's probably why we didn't talk about him a whole hell of a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a lot of memorable plays, but overall in the draft, easy to forget. Yep. All right, so that about does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. Next week, we bring all of this stuff together. We put together a kind of preferred draft plan for the 49ers, and then the draft is here. It is almost here. Uh, Ready, man. I think, are we still going to do, I mean, don't send us names yet until we do. I, we, were, we were thinking about maybe, like, uh, having people throw us names, you know, because there's not really another position that's I think very strong maybe that we really in. want to get into uh, you know in depth and so maybe just kind of looking at some other players at across all the other positions we can get to if you have some name I mean I don't know if we'll actually do it go ahead and throw us some names if no yeah let's let's do it in. let's actually yeah. take a segment and and if if there's a specific player that you like you think would be a great fit or you just want us to talk about because you have questions about them send them our way and we'll do some work over the course of the week and we will do we will get to some of those players we can't we can't get to all of them yeah. um, but we will get to some of those players and give you what our thoughts are on some of those players so feel free to tweet me at better rivals david where can they tweet you that'll be at pff underscore david and we'll get to those players we'll get to the overall preferred draft plan leading into the draft and then uh, the the fun begins because uh, then we get to actually have actual breakdowns of the players that we draft and so that's what we'll do after the niners draft them uh, we will give you full-on scouting reports what those players do well where they win uh, and how we think they will fit with the team in a bit more expanded way uh, than we have kind of in this preamble to the draft. So thanks again for tuning in. And as always, go Niners. Go Niners.